All right. Amen. Amen. You're wondering why I'm up here this morning. I am going to preach this morning in this uh, venue, and then I'm going to go into our Mandarin church and preach to them in a minute as well. And so we're going to do worship at the end, and so I can be in both places at the same time. And uh, the Lord blesses us from time to time to be able to blesses me to be able to preach in our other languages in these congregations. Um, by the way, you can be desperately praying for our Mandarin church. Um, they have been without a pastor for quite some time now. And um, we, we want to desperately lift them up in prayer and uh, just that the Lord would provide some leadership. They have great leaders, but would provide a pastor for them. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, and we do not want to um, not miss out on the opportunity to recognize our veterans, those who have served in the armed forces um, so, so sacrificially and have given their life for us and the freedoms that we enjoy. So if you've served in the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Coast Guard, or the Marines, would you plan to stand up and let us recognize you the, this morning for Veterans Day tomorrow? We thank you for your service. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you. It was a blessing. And uh, also to those who are widowed and widowers of those who have served, we thank you for um, your service. Um, Alan gave a great uh, sermon last week on forgiveness, and it was much needed for our church and our hearts and and the joy that comes from forgiveness and um, seeing what Christ has done for us and then responding to one another in that type of love. And we continue on in our series in Ephesians, which has taken us a little bit to get through the first 14 chapters. It's taken us three weeks to do that, but we're going to pick it up a little bit as we begin to look at the second part of Ephesians. And in this second part of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, something happens here in this section that is important for us to understand. It gives us the model prayer for how we ought to pray for God's church. The model prayer for Northwest Baptist Church is right here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The first 14 verses of chapter 1 are filled with the majesty and the glory of this great God who saves, the triune God, the, the Father who chose us, the Son who redeemed us, and the Spirit who is given to us as a guarantee that one day we will be glorified with God in heaven for eternity. It's a beautiful picture of the work of God in salvation. And then he, he moves to the church. And his prayer for the church because of God's work and their salvation and becoming God's church now he says now this is what I'm praying for you notice in this prayer when we read it this morning that Paul he doesn't focus on money 
He doesn't focus on more people. He doesn't focus on the performance of programs. He focuses on the heart of the church. The heart of the people of God. That's what he's praying for. Because all those other things will take care of themselves when the heart is right. So what makes the heart or the spirit of a church what we're talking about is what does the church the people of God desire what are they focused upon what is their inward motivations what is the longing of God's church and right here in the middle of these verses Paul prays for the eyes of their hearts to be opened. The eyes of the hearts to be opened to understanding the work of God and His great salvation and the hope that they have in Him. So the desire for faith in Christ, love towards one another is rooted in a knowledge of Christ, a knowledge of his work, and a knowledge of the message of the gospel. So let's turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, as we, we see Paul's prayer for God's church. Ephesians chapter 1, 15, page 976 in the Pew Bible in front of you. If you'll turn there, that would be great. Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope that he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule, and authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a passage of scripture. Let us pray. You can be seated as we pray this morning. Father, we, we hear the scriptures and the prayer for your church. We know the desperate call of your church to be a beacon of light, to present Christ, the body of Christ, before people that they may see 
Christ. That they may know Christ. And this calling that you have given to us as the church to know this great God who saves in Christ. Father, we thank you for this. And we ask, Father, that we would be reminded not only of the head knowledge, but our hearts would be awakened. And our eyes of our hearts would be opened to the glorious grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the people that you have blessed with the knowledge of the truth. We ask that we would be people who desire you above all else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You see, knowing Christ and knowing the gospel create this desire in our hearts for God. And it creates this desire to do the will and the work of God. What, what you don't know or what you can't see, you really have no desire for. Growing up, um, this was revelant in my life with my mother. We would go to McDonald's, as every young mother would uh, back in the day and still does today. But you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's and you declare, I would like a Happy Meal. And they would say on the screen, what would you like to drink? And most mothers would say, oh, a Coke or a Dr. Pepper. My mother would say, water, okay? So as a young boy, I never drank Coke, Dr. Pepper, Fanta, anything carbonated. And so when I got old enough, I never knew what I was missing out, right? When I got old enough, I never even wanted it. And when I tasted it, it wasn't good. So I never even drank Coke growing up. I never desired that because I didn't know what it was and what it tasted like. Now, Amazon recently came up with a similar idea to help uh, kids know and understand what they're missing out on, all right? There's no, nothing new under the sun, right? And actually, we can see in this passage the idea Amazon gets. But the idea is that um, what people don't know and don't see, they don't have a desire for. Get that? So what they don't know, what they don't see, they don't really have a desire for. But when they see it, when they know it, when they experience it, they want it. They desire it. So Amazon sent a home magazine to our home the other day, okay? And you thought that magazines were dead. Paper stuff was dead. It was all electronic. No, Amazon, who's one of the most, uh, you know, progressive companies in the world, sends home a magazine and our kids get it. And it has stickers. And the kids put the sticker on the Christmas gift that they want. And guess what? They don't even know that they want these items until they see them and, and look at them and, and, and know what it is. It's brilliant. 
parents, this is not a good idea, so don't do this with your kids. Because your kids will want something they suddenly cannot live without where five minutes they didn't even know it existed. They desire these things with all their heart because they have seen them. They have heard about them. They now know them. This is what Paul's prayer is for his church. That our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That's the thing. We can't desire Christ until we know Him. We can't desire the things of God until we experience the gospel in our own life through the body of Christ. And that's Paul's prayer for the church. That God would reveal himself in such a way that they would know him. That you would know this great God that the eyes of your heart would open to the mighty work of Christ and your, your heart would change, your desires would change to want to fulfill the will of God in your life. You see, once the light shines in the heart, The heart hears and understands the beauty of God and the gospel. How can you not desire the things of God? Look at verse 16 with me. This is what Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul is a man of thanksgiving. And this is his thanksgiving, remembering you in my prayers that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. But verse 15 tells us why he's thankful. He tells us why he's thankful in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And later, he declares that he's praying the eyes of your heart will be open to know the hope, right? So you have it right there. You have the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the love towards all the saints. This is what he is excited about. He's thankful for in God's church here in Ephesus. Faith and love. And later, he declares that he prays for hope. This is our first point this morning as we read this and as we see Paul begin to pour out his love and his heart for his church. He's thankful for their faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love embody the church. Paul uses these three words multiple times in Scripture to the Thessalonian church twice once in his greeting and once in his charge to them to continue in these three areas. I'll read to you the greeting that he gives just as he gives the greeting here. I'm thankful for your your faith and your love to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You may have heard of this in, the, in the most, one of the most famous chapters in 1 Corinthians, the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So I just want to quickly show you how these three things embody God's church. Because at the end of this section, Paul will say that you are the body of Christ. So how do these three things embody the church? Number one, faith. Faith is trusting in Christ. This is a change of the mind in which we are going our own way and we decide and we repent and we change our mind to place our faith in Christ alone. Not in our own way, not in our own thoughts, not in our own wants. But now our desires of our heart are aligned with Christ because our faith is in him. You've heard that analogy of a man walking across a tightrope and Niagara Falls. The man looks at the crowd and he says, who has faith that I can walk across this tightrope above this falls to my sudden death? Most of the people raise their hand going, yeah, this guy's a professional. He can do this. I have faith in him. They raise their hand. He gets a wheelbarrow out and he begins to, to say, who has faith that I can wheel this wheelbarrow across this tightrope, across this high tightrope to my sudden death if I don't? About half the crowd raises their hand, a little bit less than before. And he says, if you really have faith, get in the wheelbarrow. At some point in your life, you're going to have to be all in to Christ. Life gets hard, and the steadfastness of faith produces perseverance. This is what embodies the church. And guess what? This faith is not a, a blind faith, mind you. But it's built upon what Paul has been talking about in chapter 1. The plan that God has for you. That Christ bought you and now showed his power at the resurrection. And now you have hope and you have been given a guarantee in the Holy Spirit. And that sign is now that you are children of God. All of these things coming together to rest in the hope of Christ and to place your faith in him. So this is faith. And he also talks about love. And 1 Thessalonians talks about the labor of love. Here he talks about in verse 15, the love towards all the saints. John 13, 35, Jesus says to his disciples, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a distinguishing mark for God's church. A unconditional love. A love that is patient. A love that is kind. A love that is gentle. A love that does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. This love is exemplified by the way the church interacts with one another. 
Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you gentle? Do you, do you envy or do you boast? Are you arrogant or rude? Are you insisting on your own way? Are you irritable or resentful? In God's church, in your family, in your relationships, in your relationships outside of the church. You see, this embodies God's church and how he designed it to be the body of Christ. There is nothing we cannot work through as a body of Christ if it is done in love. There is nothing we cannot work through. The love of Christ controls us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the last one is hope. He talks about this in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. In the English, this really doesn't connect in the English um, definition or the way that we use it in the English language, it's something that we hope to happen. We're not sure that it will happen. I hope OU makes the college football playoff, right? We're not sure that that's going to happen. But that's not the biblical hope. That's not the definition of the Greek word and how it's used in the Bible. Biblical hope is something that you are very sure about. It just hasn't happened yet but something that you look forward to with great anticipation, and that literally reshapes the entire outlook of your life. It reshapes your heart and your desires and how you view your life. And this is what Paul is talking about in the whole of chapter 1. God is going to complete what he began in you, this great salvation, and he's working it out amongst his church. He's going to present his church as holy and blameless before him. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie, sometimes faith, hope, and love are hard to find, even in God's church with the people of God. But guess what? These three things are evidences of God's grace in the life of people. You know what? It's easy to be critical of people. It is. But Paul's here in this section was thankful for God's church. He was praying for God's church. I pray that we would be a church that's thankful of the evidences we see of God's grace in the life of people. When what Paul was speaking to the messed up church in Corinth, you know what, he didn't say, I'm thankful for your faith and your love towards each other and your hope in Christ. You know what he says? This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 1.4. Get this. He says this, I always thank God, my God, for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't say, because of your hope and your faith and your good works. He says, I thank God for you because of God's grace in your life. 
Paul looked for traces of grace and found reasons for gratitude. Amen? You got to put on your grace glasses and look at people who might at times feel self centered or self righteous or know everything and look for the gospel in them and praise the Lord for them. That's what Paul does. Traces of grace and reasons for gratitude will change your whole mindset. It will change my mindset. It will change God's church. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, Saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? This is, this is our second point this morning. It really comes from that in 17. Pray that the Spirit shines light upon our hearts to know God. Pray that the Spirit shines light upon our hearts to know God. Paul's prayer is that you are given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. You know, it's not enough to just know about Christ stories about Christ. The realities of God and the gospel has to travel down into the heart. And it has to change the will and the desire of the soul. There are two words in the Greek for knowledge. One is oida. And it refers to knowing facts, data, it's like this, I, I know that the church, Northwest Baptist, is on 23rd Street. I also know the square root of 256 is 16, and I know the little tiny piece of plastic at the end of your shoelace is called an aglet. Just a little in, extra information if you didn't know that, but it's called an aglet, okay? And these things I know, this is Oida, this is Greek, these are fact-based knowledge and data but there's another word, and Paul uses this word here. It's called gnosko. This is the Greek word for, for personal, felt knowledge through gained experience. I may know, Oida, oh facts that Krispy Kremes are made of sugar and baby angel nectar, right? But that's different. But that's different from putting this in your mouth and knowing Krispy Kreme donuts, Gnosko, okay? You might know how a parachute works, but that's different than the moment you step out of the plane, right? I knew my wife was about to get, give birth, but that was different than holding my first daughter in my hands, that's gnosko. That's knowing intimately, deeply, 
experiencing. The Hebrew word for this word was used for sexual intimacy, intimacy when a man and a woman knew each other. They united their souls together. They didn't learn facts about one another. They experienced each other. And this is what God does in our hearts when God grants us spiritual sight. As he says, the eyes of your hearts are opened. It is like we see God for who he is and we experience him. It's possible to be around Jesus for a very long time. To be in the church for a very long time. To be reading God's word for a very long time. To be praying to this great God for a very long time and never know, gnosko him. Judas is an example of that. He began to want to be around Jesus like everyone else. He wanted Jesus a part of his life. He believed Jesus was telling the truth, but the eyes of his heart were never enlightened. And his knowledge of Jesus never turned into seeing the glory of Christ which would have resulted in faith and love. Almost all our problems as Christians and as the church deal with a lack of sight from our hearts. We know all the truths about God, and yet our hearts are asleep. What we know here has to come here. Does your worship seem cold? Are you bored with Jesus? Maybe even since a young child, you're well-versed in the facts of Jesus and the Bible, and yet the gospel is not bursting in your mouth with tastes of sweet honey. The issue is not finding some new doctrine or, or some new facts about Jesus, but rather, like the Grinch, we need our heart to grow three times bigger in one day. So what do we do, church? What do we do? We do what, what the, Paul tells the church in Ephesus and encourages them to do. We get on our knees and we pray. And we ask God to open the eyes of our hearts to the hope we have in Christ. Guess what? In Revelation, a few years later, John will write and he will say, you have lost your first love. We have to continue to open our eyes of our hearts. And that is done through prayer, through the Spirit inside of us giving us wisdom and a revelation of knowledge of Christ to deeply know him, gnosko, know him. Four things Paul does, Paul asks for in his prayer for the Ephesians church. Number one, the hope or the certainty, knowing that we will know we have the hope of salvation, the certainty of our salvation will occur. Number two, if you look at verse 18, what is the hope in which he has called you? Num number two is what are the riches of his glorious inheritance 
in the saints. Now, some people mistake this for saying we will get an inheritance, but if we look closely, it is the glo- what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We are God's treasured possession. We are God's inheritance. We are valuable. We have worth. His glorious inheritance of the saints. So hope that our salvation will incur. Understanding that we are God's treasured possession. Number three, that God's power is immeasurably great. That's what he says here in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. God's power is immeasurably great. We thought that creation was great. When you step outside and you look over the Grand Canyon and you see the awesomeness and the might of God's creation, you stand on a 14,000-foot mountaintop and you look out and you see the vast awesomeness and beauty of the creation of God, His majesty and His power, and yet God is saying, I have done greater to show you my power in the resurrection of Christ. And the power of the resurrection, immeasurable toward us who believe. God's power is shown through the resurrection. Do we feel that? Do we understand that? And the fourth thing is our, our last point. Verse 20, I'll start there. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see the vastness of Christ's authority. My dad always preaches to me sometimes in, uh, on Monday and Tuesdays, and he, he gets excited about what the passage was the last week, and he gives me a, a second sermon sometimes. And he, he always says this line in his sermons to me. Do you know who you're dealing with? Do you know who you're dealing with? The great God Almighty. Do you know who has saved you? Do you know how big his arms are? The greatness of his power and authority. Do you know who you're dealing with? The authority of Christ. This is our third point this morning. Christ is the head of God's church This section shows the headship of Christ not only over his church, but over all things. Only the church, not the entire creation, is the body of Christ, though. The church is important. Jesus himself identifies with the church as the body of himself. 
We, we sometimes know this, right? Intellectually. But we, do, we, do we know this with our hearts? You see, the church is about more. It's about more than a building. It's about more than an organization. It's about more than a pastor. It's about more than deacons. It's about more than a congregation. It's about Christ. The body of Christ. And the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Jesus in a special way is filling His church with spirit and His grace and gifts. You see, we as the body of Christ, as God's church, are entirely dependent upon Christ as the head. Our relationship is to Jesus. A church functions at the highest level when the organizational chart is in place. Jesus as the head. Every part of the body is functioning through what? Through the head. When Jesus is directing the body, it flows in perfect communion and unison with one another. But guess what? When the arms decide to do what the arms want to do, and they don't communicate with the head who is Christ, guess what? The whole body suffers that day because it doesn't eat. And when the legs decide that they don't want to move, or if they decide that day that they just want to keep moving, guess what? The body suffers because there's no rest that day. There's no sleep. There are three things that will radically transform Northwest Baptist Church from this passage. One, a heart of prayer that we would gnosko know God intimately, deeply, and fully. Number two, deep prayer that our hearts would be enlightened. That means our darkness inside of our hearts, the light would shine into our hearts, that we would not grow cold with facts, but we would be warmed with the gospel so that our hearts burn deeply inside of us for the ways of God. Our desires match what God's will is for our life that we would know God, that our hearts would be enlightened. And a third thing, that we would place Christ in his rightful place in the life of his church. When the church becomes my church and it becomes this is what I desire, guess what? The body becomes disjointed and functions in chaos, criticism, and a spirit of dysfunction. But guess what? That's not here. Not at Northwest. We are a place where we place our grace-filled glasses on. We see the traces of grace that God has given each and every person. And guess what? We're placing Christ as the head. We're not going to look to the newest strategy. We're not going to look to the best leadership skills. But we're going to look to Christ to lead and fill God's church with himself.
we're going to humble ourselves to take our own agenda off the throne of Northwest. And we're going to pray and ask God to enlighten our hearts with knowledge of Him. And we're going to say, Lord, what do you want us to do? Where do you see us going? Not what I want to do. Not what you want to do. But Lord, help us to be people who are sensitive to see the Spirit's working in the life of His church. God is at work. He is at work in His Word. He is at work in our hearts. He is shining light in dark places of our hearts. We are hearing the gospel message. And at some point, God's transformative work will transform us to a place where all we can do is share God's love with other people. Because the joy of the Lord, the joy of His grace and His mercy is bursting forth from our mouth, from our mind, and from our heart because of the hope that we have in Christ. Let's be a church that bursts forth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. As we enter a time of worship, may you speak to our hearts, to our spirit, to our souls. May we begin to be a church that does the things of God that you've called us to. Father, we ask, Father, that you would be glorified in this place with these people, not because we are good, not because we have the best, but because, Father, we know you. We ask, Father, during this time of worship that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.